We are encountering silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. This is the second part of a two-part interview. The first part was released last week in our previous episode of Encountering Silence. But the more that, I'm not saying like, I don't like things like liturgical dance. You know, I'm from the seventies. Like that just embarrasses me. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think, but I think that let's be less prescriptive, you know, about how we meditate, how we pray, let people experiment and find what's right for them. Do you ever go to a church and see um, a family that has a child who's autistic and they have to sit in the back because they're in, they they are worried that they'll get kicked out because the child is moving and speaking inappropriate moment at quote unquote inappropriate moments. How do we integrate that child better, you know, and and honor that kind of behavior, which is just part of who that child is? That was about as confusing and rambling of an answer as I could have possibly. No, it's spectacular. It's a great answer. I know because he asked a very broad question. So you you went and covered different areas. But I, I feel like what you just said about the autistic child, what about the woman who has to breastfeed her child? Or what about the little kid who, you know, I had my kids, a toddler, they don't want to sit in the pew. They want to run up and down the aisle. Like, you know, inappropriate. Don't do that. Go to the crying room, go to the, you know, go to the church hall and we'll, we'll send a video so you can see it from a distance or, you know, whatever. So it's, um, yeah, I, I think, I, I think you really, I think you summarized it really well when you said about the idea of body, bringing body and soul back together that really for various reasons probably could have an entire graduate seminar on that topic about how that happened in the West. But I mean, that really is a problem. Isn't that Gnosticism? Like yes. I probably yeah. nailed like 10 heresies in that yeah. response. Like, yeah. Isn't that yeah. the body is my friend is a Gnostic and I'm, I can't remember. Maybe you can all remember this is like that, that Jesus didn't really have a body. Oh, is that's that dosa- right? that's docetism. Yeah. Docetism, yeah. right. Yeah. So. Yeah. But that separation of the physical and the um, spiritual, I think that's a big problem. And this obsession with the physical at the cost of the spiritual in our, in my tradition uh, is a particular problem. Mm. Amen to that. You know, the first time I saw a crying room in a church, it was as an adult. And I thought it was just a space if you wanted privacy to go cry. Which I think is great. Which would to be have more, that. more appropriate. I mean, for I that. ended up using just the side chapel in my church, right? Where I would just go to the side chapel and cry because no one would be there. But the idea of integrating and being inclusive of all aspects of our being—I mean, that's that's spirituality. That's care for each other. And I, I really liked what you're saying about this idea of coming out of this pandemic more individualistic, but also more communal. That is striking to me because I absolutely see that happening right now. And I even see it in myself to a degree. And you also talked about this idea of our need to be less prescriptive in these spaces. 
and I, and I realized that for me, I also need to be less, you know, less determined to get what I think is right in terms of the ego, the ego at play there, because it, it is so necessary for us to have communal care. It's something I'm just noticing both in my, I don't do a lot of spiritual direction because I just, I'm super busy, but the few people that I meet that what I hear them saying is both this crave, like I'm used to being alone now. I'm used to praying with my family or um, on my own and how am I going to go back? But I miss it so much. And especially it's Advent now. And like we, who even, you know, if you're not somebody who follows a lot of other religious people on social media or paying attention to I don't I don't have to admit that I haven't been going to zoom church because I don't like it and um, I don't find it very fulfilling and so I don't do the reading I'll sometimes look at the readings for the day in the lectionary but um, I've been praying on my own too but I miss in advent like I would love to hear the antiphons I would love to hear O come, O come, Emmanuel, and be in community and lighting the wreath and all that beautiful stuff. But I'm not going to do it by myself. I'm married to somebody who's non-religious, like, and so I'm just giving that up. And so it is both this desire of like, I have a lack, but also like, I'm okay. I'm I'm actually doing pretty well um, without church. So how am I going to resolve that when we come out of this? And I think a lot of people are feeling what you're talking about, Cassidy, is that impossible, especially I feel really for my friends who are clergy and um, because they're, they, they saw this huge uptick in people at the beginning of the pandemic, like everybody was like, there's more people coming to Zoom than actually come on Sunday. And it's slowly been going down, 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 down. And so how do you keep your faith community together? And how do you, yeah, because we're all zoomed out and yeah, all these questions are not going to be answered anytime soon, but it is that question of ego and is God really just telling us right now, it's okay to do your own thing. It's okay. Cause that's what you've got to work with. I feel like I, um, I want to say more, but at the same time, maybe, maybe not, maybe just let it sit there. But, but I think this is, I agree with Cassidy, your comment about being more individual and more communal. It's exactly where I am. I, I've gotten to the point where this pandemic, I've been basically in lockdown since March. I've done a little bit, very, very little. Um, I've gotten to see my mother and father a little bit and my brothers once in a while, socially distanced. But I mean, generally, I have not seen anybody except for my wife and kids for since March, really. And I haven't gone, and there's no way I'm going to church. It's just, it's like germ center. Uh, everybody's going to spread everything everywhere, even though people are still going. Um, my church is open and it's just, it doesn't, my wife doesn't feel comfortable. And, and I've gotten to the place now where I almost, I miss people. And at the same time, for the first time in my life, I really don't want to see people either. Like, I really feel caught between those two things. Like, people show up and I'm like, no, go away. And then as soon as they go away, I'm like, I'm lonely. There's this really weird space of like, I want people around and I don't want people around. And you add in spirituality at the same time and it really gets messy. Uh, so I think this is like the question that we're hovering around for a little bit. 
this is reminding me that amid this increased individualism and communal aspects, I have felt this, there's this weird layer of intimacy that's entering into Zoom life and that I'm seeing my students when I am as a TA, my professors, kids, pets, homes, sacred spaces, right? Their, their private life is, so it's also, and that, that layer of intimacy is definitely increasing the sense of community, but of course, right, all alongside this, this Zoom fatigue and this individualism and this desire to assert our individualism amid that. Right. And we're also like learning all kinds of things about each other that you didn't know. Right. Like, so I've noticed that my male colleagues who have children, you never see the children during Zoom meetings. And my female colleagues who have children, you always mm. see the children. <laughs> like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> um, no shade on them. It's just the kid is for some reason not disrupting them. I don't know. But and then also discovering like, like, so this is my, this room that those of you who are on Zoom can see is really just a, a large closet and I've decorated it to look like a functional room, but only on one side and the rest of the room is just piles of crap. And so I've edited my life to be acceptable. <laughs> But on the other hand, the cat comes in, my, my office is next to the bathroom. So whenever the other person who lives here has to go to the bathroom, I have to mute or like they text mm. me, like I'm coming in, I need to go to the bathroom. Okay, I'm going to end my meeting, you know, so we have like that kind of right. TMI. <laughs> so it's both like too much <laughs> vulnerability and not enough. Right. It's really this it's it's that liminal space that both of you are talking about of like we're craving intimacy we're craving time with other people but finding it overwhelming and frightening um my church has been meeting outside and i haven't even been able to do that you know like i can't i just don't want to i just have this resistance to um, to putting myself and people around me at risk. And, uh, and I think that's probably smart. But on the other hand, like, I've lost all connection to that community. Like they, I don't know if they even are paying attention to who's coming and who isn't anymore. They're just trying to keep the doors open. There's this wonderful quote from Radical Reinvention about exile, exile and silence. And the, the way this conversation has been flowing made me think of that quote. So I'd like to read the quote and then just see if you'd be willing to kind of play with it a little with us. You're writing about Joseph. You're in Italy and you're writing about Joseph. And you say another thing about Joseph, his silence. Exile is a kind of enforced silence. Since immigrants and anyone fleeing oppression don't have much of a voice, but Joseph is literally silent. We never hear a thing he says. So a lot of theologians talk about Joseph's life as a hidden life, like those mystery years between Jesus's birth and the beginning of his public ministry. But a hidden life can still be significant. Joseph's silence speaks multitudes. He knows how to listen. During days like this, when darkness is pressing in, listening can be the hardest thing of all. So again, you wrote this a decade ago, 
but reading this in 2020 under the you know the the pall of the pandemic during days like this what i immediately thought about was the pandemic and so i'm curious is the pandemic a kind of exile for us i'm thinking it is then how do we meet that yes i i yes it is i mean when you read about the way people die in COVID and the fact that they cannot be in the room with the, you know, you have a moment maybe with the person at the end, but that they're like on FaceTime, you know, as they're dying, that the family cannot be in the room. So I had surgery last year and my husband could come in at the end and sit with me and like, you know, take me home. And I could have, if I had to stay in the hospital, I would have had visitors. And now it's just people are dying alone and isolated. And I think when I wrote that, I was talking about seasonal affective disorder in some ways, like at this end, which we're also going into, right? It's like that time of year when it, you can't get outside is, I mean, of course, in California, like, that's a lie, we can get out year round here. But you can go, there's less light. I was walking home last night, I went for a walk at four, I'm coming back to the house at five, and the streetlights are coming on. And as a woman, you don't really want to be out alone at night in most cities. So like, am I walking faster to get home? And thinking about that, why did I choose that moment to go out not thinking an hour ahead? And I'm like, what day is it? Wait a minute, what week is it? What year is it? And then it just became that. So I've been thinking that time in the pandemic and our experience of it is very elastic in the sense that it stretches to accommodate both the torpor and the boredom and the this isolation, but also to accommodate our, you know, our desires for a different life when it's over. Our conversation will continue after this brief moment of silence. Please take a break with us and be present in this short period of silence. But exile is literally being separated from other people. And we are, we can Zoom all day. We can talk to people on the phone, you know, as much as we want to. But at some point you lose your taste for that. And you just really sort of give up and say, I'm just going to talk to the people I live with and maybe go to my classes and go to work. And that's all I can handle. And that's okay. I've been telling my students all semester, like, resilience is what we build up uh, over time and we build it up based on times in the past when we've been challenged and that can be cutting like when you go away to college you know for them and they have to move away from their families and now they had to move back and they're miserable because it was like I was just getting started and now I have to go back again 
but maybe we're feeling that too, you know, again, just like we're exiled from one another and sort of giving each other permission. I'm like finding that if my friends don't reply to my emails or texts for a few days, I'm like, whatever, you know, I don't stress about it. I just go, I, I don't have the bandwidth either. We're giving each other permission to be a little more uh, misanthropic. <laughs> to be a little bit more like an anchoress. I'm curious, maybe part of this exile is this issue. You talked about at the beginning that silence for you also was an enemy. There's a sense of toxic silence and a silencing that you've that you've bumped into. And I'm curious as to if there's some way we could flesh that out a little bit. I don't really want to push you and and talk about something very specifically personal if you don't want to. But I'm kind of curious as to how that plays out. If if you could flesh that out a little bit about some of the silencing maybe uh, that you've experienced as a, a woman who writes about religion, who's now returned to the Catholic Church, which is interesting. As you said, there's, there's misogyny, there's antibody stuff, and yet you returned. Kind of curious as to if there's a little bit more that you could share about the toxicity of silence that we sometimes talk about on this podcast. I think it, it becomes a problem when you force other people, when it becomes involuntary and it becomes, like I said, the difference between the verb for the silencing, like when it becomes that it's okay when you go to Italy and you walk around in like the Basilica of St. Francis in Assisi and everyone's talking because it's amazing and they're walking around going oh my god this is so beautiful wow and then in Italy the security guards go silencio silencio like they hear it in the Vatican every church it's like and we're back to that thing of like what is the right way to respond so and it can feel shaming right like I'm embarrassed when I'm at a concert and I say something to somebody very quietly and someone behind me goes, Shh. like, I'm embarrassed. Like I made a mistake. I shouldn't have spoken. But what I'm talking about is a more kind of methodical systemic silencing. So like it's start, it's, it's very old, you know, the way that the church used to silence women is it would kill them, you know, so it would burn them or throw them into a lion pit or, you know, whatever, all these creative ways to do violence to women's bodies in order to get them to stop talking and saying things that frighten the church, that challenge the church. And what it does now instead is just this denial of authority, like denial of expertise. There isn't as much under the Pope Francis is not as doctrinally inclined as the previous couple of popes who literally, you know, I blurbed a book by Roger Haidt, who's a Jesuit, and he was ordered not to write any more books by the Vatican. And they found some workaround and not to teach. And he teaches at Union Seminary now because the workaround was like, well, don't teach a Catholic school. Right. But like he was like ordered not to. So that's that's the he was the silencing of theologians, 
that's the modern version. So you don't throw women into pits anymore, but you do things like, well, she's a woman, but we're not going to invite her to this conference on women in the church because she doesn't have any children. So she can't speak about the role of mothering. Like I've had that happen. It's Radical Reinvention was published by a secular publisher. No religious publisher would touch that book. Uh, I'm currently working with a Protestant publisher because I published my last book with Orbis, which is a Catholic press, and they're very friendly to but this particular book, you know, it just landed with Fortress uh, Broadleaf, um, which is Protestant. And I, a mutual friend of all of ours, Jessica uh, Mesman, and I have, and have had many conversations about this. Why do we as Catholic women feel more empowered in non-Catholic spaces? It's because we don't have that silencing. So I finally, you know, I felt like a little bit of triumph in pitching finally successfully a story about hysterectomy to America where I'm a staff writer, which is a Jesuit magazine, but it just kind of felt like this, like they don't, you know, nobody else was going to write it because it was sort of this taboo topic and like one in three women have them, but like nobody, they, I looked through all these issues and like they hadn't run anything on it. And I don't think that was a deliberate silencing. I think that was a kind of, let's not talk about that. And that's sort of been the approach with queer people too. Like, let's not talk about it and just kind of like, and let's not talk about abuse. And like, so it becomes this kind of, silencing by passivity, which is really trying to hide things. And that is corrupting and, and death. It's, it's death, it kills people, that kind of silencing. It literally kills people. So we've, we're killing people in different ways. We're not martyring them gloriously in public, you know, quote unquote, as they did in the past, we're killing them silently through mental health, giving them mental health issues, causing them to have, be rejected by their families, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's a real crisis. So yeah, that's the dark, the downside of silence. John O'Donohue, the Irish poet and mystic, you know, who died about 10 years ago, he spoke about the unheld conversations. And so listening to you speak, that brought that image to mind. And I think that's very much what you're describing. And I mean, we're here, we're all fans of Jim Martin, and I can't imagine that the editors at America sat down and said, we don't want to write about hysterectomy. I think it was probably more, it just never got on their radar. They were probably all men. And there's just, you know, there's, it was kind of a huge blind spot. Again, I think everybody here would agree. That's one of the, one of the evils of having, uh, excluding women from, from ordained ministry. You know, when, when women don't have access to leadership in an organization, an entire dimension of, of human experience is basically marginalized. Could say the same thing about queer people as well right i do i do there are women editing in america now including mm -hmm. carrie Weber, who i work with a lot but that being said it's still they have had a history of america the magazine being silenced by the vatican mm -hmm. so their editor was uh, Tom Reese, who, you know, there was this is a famous story. If you're Catholic, it's like an inside baseball thing, but they were told not to write about certain issues and he was removed as editor by Pope Benedict. So like, they're very cautious in some ways about 
Jim Martin gets to tread the line, you know, <laughs> like because of who he is, and he's wonderful and become a good friend too. But I think it is that like, oh, it never occurred to us kind of thing, right? That is a big blind spot in a lot of religious publishing. And that's not just a Catholic problem. Um, if you have any friends who are evangelical or Protestant, that will go on and on about Christianity today, you know, and like all the problems with that. Um, so, yeah. I think all of us are in agreement on the same page here. So, but I just think it's important to reiterate that navigating it as a Catholic thing or a group of men thing doesn't justify it and mm -hmm. when we're talking about something like yeah writing about hysterectomies I mean there's also a lot of intersections that are also avoided because perhaps men were making a choice uh, white men in particular right because we're also addressing the issues of race and class and gender and um, just a lot of intersections there that are important so okay. uh, yeah oppression doesn't get justified just because it happened a long time ago. yeah right Pamela Lightsley says she wrote a book called Queer Womenist Theology. She says oppression on one level intersects with, intersects with oppression on another level. And so recognize, recognizing that connectivity is just, it's amazing. And as, as a privileged white person, I identify as queer. I'm still a very privileged white person. It's so important for me to follow that thread and follow that, that recognition because of my own participation in it and ultimately in a, all these intersections that we're we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. just real real quick. Um, my friend Danya Ruttenberg, who's a rabbi, is working on a book about forgiveness and what that means to give forgiveness and to atone for things. So I think just on this topic, she's really good on this topic. So just in a year or so when it comes out, just want to plug that. So Kaya, one of the things we like to ask on the podcast is if you have a silence hero someone dead or alive could even be a fictional character if you'd like that embodies what silence is for you or what it means to you there's this bit in pride and prejudice when mr bennett the father like his his favorite thing to do is to go into his room and shut the door and like in the chaos of his family and there's there's a, a level of misogyny to that because you know he's got all these daughters and whatever but I actually really identify with him as a fictional character it's like I'm just gonna go in here and like shut the door and and you know mm. so strangely like that he comes to mind when you ask that question you mentioned St. Joseph earlier and that's more of the religious version of that but I think that model of like I had a father like that too who was like withdraw and then like recharge like and so I kind of give myself permission to be Mr. Bennett in most of the families that I'm part of. <laughs> well Kaya I think all of us could could just carry on for another three hours or more but we so appreciate your time and you're willing to share with us. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me and for inviting me to. I've known about your podcast for a while and listened to it. And I always joke, I'm not going to start my own podcast because there are too many that I like already. So <laughs> thank you so much. We are encountering silence. I'm Carl McCollman. To learn more about me, please visit carlmccollman.com.
www.cassidyhall.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. Find out about my work at CassidyHall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. My current website is KevinMichaelJohnson.com. Please visit the podcast's website at EncounteringSilence.com, where you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters and share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all too noisy world. Thank you.